So when we consider muscle growth, we have to first consider what causes muscle growth. The number one factor that leads to building muscle is mechanical tension. Welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast. This is the podcast for every average individual who wants to live an above average life in an above average physique. I am your host, Cody McBroom. I am a sports nutritionist and online trainer and the host of the Tailored Life Podcast, where we break down fitness and nutrition science as well as personal development, business, life, everything you can think of that just makes you a better human being and again, makes you an above average individual. Um, I'm excited to dive into some stuff today. I feel like I haven't uh, been on the podcast in a minute. You probably don't recognize that because we pump out two a week, but I got ahead of schedule by cranking out quite a few and uh, back to back. And now I feel like I'm coming back too. And uh, I'm excited about today because I haven't done a topic. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's why I feel like I haven't been on here for a while, but I'm going to do a topic today. So um, if you're new to this show, I'm just going to give you a brief insight into how we do things. I typically have one guest per week that I try to host on the podcast. Uh, we don't always have a guest, but usually we have a guest on the podcast every single week that is a fitness or nutrition professional, evidence-based practitioner, researcher, somebody who is in the psychology, runs a big business, something like that. Just somebody who is doing something above average, and we want to bring them on and talk about their story, their journey, their expertise we do usually a Q&A every week or a topic. Sometimes I'll do a Q&A and a topic, but a lot of our episodes are Q&As because that's what you guys tend to like the most. So if you have any questions, if you want your questions answered on the podcast, the best way to make sure that happens is to just click the either green button if you're on Spotify in the uh, wherever you are on your screen, there should be a green button that says ask a question. There's also a link in the description of the podcast that you can click and it'll take you to a form that you can fill out that allows you to ask any question that you have. Now, today is a topic podcast. That's the other kind of podcast we do. And this type of podcast is where I pick a topic and I just dive in. Now, if you have a specific topic that maybe it's a question, but you know that I could probably go on for a long period of time. Maybe it's a question that is, uh, it's not as simple as me answering real quickly and cranking out like on a rapid fire Q&A. Drop that in the same exact Q&A form and uh, maybe I will create a whole podcast about it. So today's gonna be a coaching series podcast. We I have done quite a few of these uh, I'm going to link these in the description. Actually, I'm going to have the the podcast team link the the different coaching series we've done in the podcast description. If you go through the coaching series podcasts, honestly, it's literally it's like a course. <laughs> you can literally go through a whole course uh, just in those coaching series. And so today we're going to do another one of those. This one is going to be on the training principles for muscle growth hypertrophy, body composition, the the thing that I specialize in the most. I would say if there's any one thing I know best when it comes to training and nutrition. It's how to transform a physique. It's fat loss and muscle growth. That is like my niche. It's my forte. It's what I'm most interested in when it comes to the science. Uh, it's what I'm competing in right now. And I plan to compete in again. Honestly, I've grown addicted to the physique sport once again. That's why I actually got into online coaching to begin with years and years and years ago, 2014, I competed as a young trainer and just fell in love with the process. I gained a ton of weight after my show uh, because back then there wasn't any good reverse diet protocols. And that's actually how I discovered reverse dieting. Then I got certified as just a baseline nutrition coach. And that sent me down a rabbit hole of going further and further and further with my my credentials and cert- certificates of being a nutritionist, being a trainer, so on and so forth. And uh, eventually that led me to building 
what today is tailored coaching method. So, but nonetheless, it, it's ironic that I'm saying how much I'm falling in love with training too, because maybe you can see it if you're watching this uh, real, I don't know if we're going to put this one on YouTube. We're selective with which ones we put on YouTube, but we have been putting interviews and such back on YouTube, certain ones. So go check out the YouTube channel. I'll link that in the description as well. Uh, where we've been putting out one video a week again, uh, long form educational style. So if you like this podcast, you love the YouTube channel and uh, you might see me start to slow down. You might hear it that I'm slowing down. I can definitely feel like I'm slowing down. I am 11 days out from my show. I'm getting really lean. My calories are lower than they've been in a long time. I'm doing a lot of cardio still. Cardio hasn't changed much in the last several weeks, but um, eh, a few weeks. I've been doing the same amount of cardio, 50 minutes for about four weeks now. But my calories are low. I'm eating today. I got 75 grams of carbs, which is obnoxiously low for me. That's the lowest I have gone in. I don't know how long. So I'm feeling it to say the least. Uh, but that's not what we're here to talk about today. I'm just letting you know that I might sound a little bit slow. So you might want to speed this one up compared to my normal speedy uh, conversation. And this podcast will actually probably be between 30 and 40 minutes. So this one won't be super long, like some of the Q and A's or interviews but I'm going to go through some specific things. So we're going to start with mechanical tension. Then we're going to go into form and proper technique. Then we're going to cover volume. Then we'll cover effort and specifically RIR, uh, reps and reserve. Then we're going to talk about progression and standardizing your training. And then last but not least, we will touch on intensification techniques. So this podcast, the goal is for me to really break down, you know, I was thinking about this recently is just like how many people get kind of lost in programming and what should actually be your your main focus or the main tenets of program design like what should you be prioritizing when it comes to actually creating a proper program and watching actual physique development happen right there's a lot of people who train for fun and that's totally fine you should train for fun there should be elements of your training that are just fun but what are we really training for here we're training for results so if you're training for results, it means that you need to have some kind of methodical approach. Training for fun is going to a group class and doing whatever's on the whiteboard. And that's great. But what I teach in this podcast, what we deliver to our clients who work with us one-on-one on a private basis is how to create a training program, follow a training program and progress through a training program that gets results. That's why we're here. That's why our clients hire us. And that's why we use a science-backed methodical approach where we map out a blueprint to create the physique that you're after. Because if we're trying to create a specific goal, develop a physique a specific way, enhance muscle mass, burn fat, whatever the goal is, right, for physique development specifically, we need to make sure that we're getting there, right? There's nothing worse than following a training program for two months, three months, six months, some people even a year, and you get to the end of that program and you're like, damn, did I, did I really get results? Like what has changed? Am I developing my physique? So there's certain things that we need to make sure that we're measuring and keeping track of, of course. And we're not going to touch too much on that today. In fact, I'll touch on that briefly before we dive into the programming principles, because that's what the meat and potatoes of this podcast is going to be about. It's about going through what causes actual muscle growth to happen. And then looking at a program and, and making sure that the program has these actual tenets and factors in it to make sure that you're progressing in that manner. And this is what, you know, this is the kind of stuff that goes into the Taylor trainer. So shout out quick plug to the Taylor trainer. You can get a seven day free trial. So definitely go check that out. The taylortrainer.com. I need to dramatically update that website, uh, which we're going to be doing soon, but 
it, it gets the job done. It'll teach you about it. It's, I mean, and I shouldn't talk like that. The website's great. I just, I created it myself and I prefer a web designer to come in and do it, which I have doing soon. But um, the website is actually really good. You know, kudos to myself on that. Uh, and it breaks down a lot of it. It shows where I've been featured. It shows a lot of testimonials from some of the top people I've worked with from pro water skiers to WWE athletes, to fitness uh, bodybuilders, physique athletes, bikini athletes, to my everyday clients, trainers, stuff like that. So you'll be able to see that. You'll be able to see a little bit of a tour of what's inside the app, type of programs are in the app. Um, it's very cheap, $29 a month to get expert programming. It allows you to progress, to track, to do everything that I'm gonna talk about today. And you can follow those programs and know that everything I'm talking about today is is diligently monitored and, and manipulated in a very effective way for the programs in there. So everything I'm gonna talk about today, if you're like, man, this all sounds great, but how do I actually get this on paper? Just go to the app, $29 a month. You can get a seven-day free trial, test it out, make sure you like it. I even know people who literally sign up for the app and still use a journal. Like I'm a big journal guy, so I like journaling my workouts still like on paper. If that's you, you can use the app as a way to just get the expert programs. $29 a month to get unlimited programs written by me, like that is ridiculously cheap. Not to mention you can also use the progression, the RIR scales, the the way you can track your weights in the app. You can also get access to the exclusive video library where it has demonstrations of exercises, hundreds of exercises, as well as me breaking down specific topics, so on and so forth. So thetaylortrainer.com. I wasn't planning on plugging or doing an advertisement, but go check the app out. It's really good. Now, let's dive into this actual podcast. So again, we're talking about training principles for muscle growth and specifically how to program these training principles for muscle growth. So when we consider muscle growth, we have to first consider what causes muscle growth. And the number one factor that leads to building muscle is mechanical tension. So that's the first and most important topic of today's show. Mechanical tension is quite literally just creating tension on the muscle. So are we stimulating the muscle? Are we stressing the muscle? So we can do this in many different ways, but when we create mechanical tension, you want to just think about literally creating micro tears, damage, tension, overload, accumulation of fatigue, whatever you want to call it, however you want to call it. There's a, there's a lot, and this is the hard part about programming. And this is where a lot of people have differing opinions of what's best for hypertrophy, low reps, high reps, heavy loads, slow eccentrics, no tempos at all, high volume, low volume, intensification techniques, drops. Like there's so many different things, but if we really boil it all down, and this is why this is the first thing we talk about today. If we boil down all the things that people say are best for hypertrophy or all the things that create a stimulus on the muscle or fatigue on the muscle or stress on the muscle, again, however you want to skin the cat, all of these things create mechanical tension. That's really all it is. And the reason we see research showing you can do rep ranges of three to five, five to 10, 10 to 15, 15 to 20, 20 to 30. Once you get above 30, it starts to uh, minimize the impact of mechanical tension and you start to increase metabolic fatigue too much, which is like the cardiovascular side of, you know, if you do a set of 30, 40, 50 reps, you're just tired, you're winded, you're not fatiguing the muscle anymore as much as you're just fatiguing your your respiratory oxidative metabolic system, right? So we, we want to stay away from it being cardio. So 30, 30, essentially 30 reps or less is the safest bet. There's probably some research to show you can do like 35, 40 reps and you're still going to get some gains. I'm not saying that it won't create tension or, or take you to failure or anything like that. However, if we stay less than 30, we're going to be in our safest bet. And so a research study came out by Brad Schoenfeld and colleagues way back that showed 
Hypertrophy was the same across all these different rep ranges. Again, three to five, five to 10. So the whole idea of eight to 12 reps being the hypertrophy zone, uh, 15 to 20 reps being the endurance zone and like one to six being the strength zone, which was taught in, you know, CPT courses, certified personal training trainer courses for years and years and years, which is still relatively true. Um, in some regards, it kind of went out the window for a lot of people because they were like, oh, well, now you can train in any rep range and you're going to build muscle. And that's true, but it's true because you're accumulating mechanical tension over time, right? So if somebody's brand new to lifting, this applies even more so, which a lot of times when we look at studies in general, they're not advanced individuals. They're usually beginner or inter- intermediate, which is fine. We do that. Not we, I'm not in the research labs. They do that in these labs because it's the easiest way to guarantee a result within a study. So if a study is eight weeks long, 12 weeks long, 16 weeks long, which costs a lot of money, takes a lot of organization, it's a good amount of time to put people through a study. We need to make sure that whatever is done in the study, no matter what we're studying, elicits a change. If it does not elicit a change, we can't really get a result and pull and extrapolate information from the study to learn anything from it, right? So when they do a research study, they can't take advanced bodybuilders who are so seasoned in their career and in their fitness journey that it's going to take a year for them to see good adaptations, right? So people all the time say, why don't we have advanced individuals in this study? Well, because nothing's going to change. If you put an advanced individual through an eight-week training study, they might not see any differences because it takes longer than eight weeks to see significant changes. And if we don't see significant changes, how do we know what we're studying even worked, right? So I digress. But the point is, is that a beginner can do one rep, three reps, five reps, seven reps, 10 reps, 12 reps, 15 reps, doesn't matter. They're brand new. So whatever they're doing is going to create mechanical tension. Mechanical tension leads to a stress on the muscle that causes the adaptation of growth, being that we are going to build new muscle tissue, which is hyperplasia, but more likely it's going to grow the muscle tissue. Tissue breaks down, there's damage. We recover by resting and recovering through, you know, Hydration, nutrition, nutrition, so calories, um, some micronutrition, but supplementation, sleep, all, all the above, right? All the recovery modalities we need and rest. And then we come back to the gym, rinse and repeat. We're a little bit stronger. We can do a little bit more, create more mechanical tension than the first time. We can recover from that now because we recovered from the first time and we rinse and repeat and we keep doing that until the muscle gets bigger and bigger over time, slowly but surely. That's the process of, of muscle growth. So mechanical tension is how muscle literally grows and you can technically do anything to any, any rep range. I'm sorry. You can technically do any rep range to create mechanical tension. You can use a kettlebell, you can use dumbbell, barbell, bands, cables, machine, like you can use anything to create mechanical tension. My professor in college used to say muscles are stupid. All they know is tension. So your muscles not going, Oh, this is a kettlebell. This is less efficient. No, if your nervous system, right, there's a connection between your nervous system to your skeletal system well, technically your, your uh, nervous system, muscular system, skeletal system, but like your nervous system fires the muscle, recruits motor units and, and muscle fibers to recruit, to create tension, to help you lift the weight, to fire the muscle, to adapt, right? So if we're telling our system to fire the muscle properly, not just like we're swinging away and a bunch of just random muscles are kind of like if I'm doing a curl and I'm swinging and, and I have a bunch of muscles firing a little bit rather than a very concentrated focus on the bicep doing the curl, moving the joint through that range of motion to create mechanical tension to the maximum degree on the muscle that I'm targeting, right? That is a very focused sense of mechanical tension. And so as long as we're doing that, we're golden. We're go- it doesn't matter what we use to do it as far as a tool goes. And it also doesn't matter what rep range we go. However, 
as we get more advanced, that whole like eight to 12 rep range, which is probably more like eight to 20 rep range becomes more impactful and effective and important to focus on for mechanical tension, which we'll get to soon. But the point is, is that if we are doing sets of three to five, the stronger we get, the more taxing it is on our joints and our nervous system, the longer our rest periods are, the the less total volume we can do, which we'll get into soon too, and therefore the less mechanical tension we can get. So there's still merit to saying we should stay in this eight to 20 rep range, but the biggest key uh, of, of muscle growth in general is mechanical tension. If you want a specific muscle to grow, you need to create mechanical tension. So anytime anybody says this is the best way to build muscle, put your mechanical tension lens on, look at the modality, look at the machine, look at the the weight, look at the uh, piece of equipment, look at the rep range, look at the program, look at the exercise selection, look at everything you can and just say, is this the most advantageous way for me to create mechanical tension on said muscle? If it is, then it's great, right? It's great. And this is why exercise selection can be important. And we're going to get into that next because it might be good for you and not me. But the point is, is we got to start this training principles for muscle growth. When we're creating a program, we're trying to create a program that organizes all these different facets to make sure that we're consistently and continually creating more and more mechanical tension over time, right? That's our main goal with hypertrophy, not strength, not endurance, right? Endurance is going to be endurance. It's how long can you durate, like your duration be, how long can you endure something, so I don't actually want to create a lot of mechanical tension if I'm trying to endure something, because if I create a lot of mechanical tension, then guess what? I'm going to fatigue my muscle and I won't be able to continue enduring whatever I'm doing. This is why with CrossFit, like a kipping pull-up makes more sense than a regular pull-up. It's a sport. My goal is to do as many pull-ups as I can. If I'm creating maximal mechanical tension, I got to slow down and isolate my lats on a pull-up. I'm going to burn out way quicker than I uh, should if I'm trying to win a competition or a little bout, a time, like a, a 10 minute AMRAP when I'm trying to get as many rounds or as many pull-ups as I possibly can, I'm going to swing. I'm going to use momentum. I'm going to use multiple muscles. I'm going to use um, leverages so that I can do more reps, not isolate a muscle and create mechanical tension, right? So this is where we can, again, is a kipping pull-up great for muscle growth? No. Is it great for enduring duration through this CrossFit bout? Yes, it is. It's a different modality. It's a different focus. It's a different goal. Hypertrophy is what we're talking about today, muscle growth. And therefore, mechanical tension is always the most important. The same goes with, you know, a deadlift is great for strength because you use a lot of different muscles. You can shift your form between a sumo or a trap bar or a conventional. You can have high hips, low hips. Like you can manipulate your levers and your posture in order to be in the most advantageous position to lift the heaviest weight possible. You're not going to create a lot of mechanical tension on any one muscle growth group, which is why it's not the best for muscle growth. However, it's a great strength lift because neurologically speaking, you're going to utilize your body in a way that allows you to lift the most weight possible, which is the whole point of strength is to lift as much weight as possible. So again, mechanical tension. I know I spent a little bit extra time on that first tenant because that is the most important factor of building muscle. And it is the thing that we should always focus on first when we're creating a program. The second aspect that we want to look at as a training principle inside of a, a muscle growth program, especially when we think about individualizing it for somebody is form and proper technique. And there's two things that we need to consider with this. The first is the reason we want to focus on this. And the second is how we implement this. The reason we want to focus on form and proper technique is because making sure we have proper form and good technique in an exercise 
is really how we ensure we're creating maximal mechanical tension. So if mechanical tension is the key to muscle growth, then our form and our technique has to allow us to properly execute an exercise to maximally stimulate muscle and create mechanical tension, right? If we're swinging, if we're using too much momentum, if we're um, having imbalances, if we're shifting our posture, if we're doing anything that allows us to compensate in an unfavorable way, we're going to shift that mechanical tension. Again, we can use the uh, curl as an example. If I use too much weight or I don't have a good stable base or I just don't know how to curl properly and I lean back, now I'm using spinal erectors. I might shrug my shoulders up. Now I'm using traps because all I'm thinking about is basically center of gravity and moving from point A to point B. The goal with an exercise is not always to move it from point A to point B, at least not for hypertrophy and muscle growth. For strength, it is. Again, the deadlift. Point A is on the floor. Point B is standing up. Pick that weight up. Do it as efficiently as you can. If you lift that weight up, you are strong. That's what you're trying to do, right? You want to move the the weight from point A to point B. Endurance, same thing. Point A is the starting the start line, and then point B is the finish line. Just run, get there. Be as efficient as you can. With muscle growth, that's not really the goal. The goal is mechanical tension. So yes, my I need to move from point A to point B in order to maximally. Uh, go through a full range of motion, especially if I want to encourage the sh- uh, sh- the stretch shortening cycle. So a fully shortened position, a fully lengthened position. So again, on the curl, my elbow locked out, bicep stretched, and at the top, my elbow flexed, bicep squeezing and shortened and contracting at the top. I'm taking my bicep through a full range of motion. However, I'm not just moving it from point A to point B. I am trying to ensure that I'm properly targeting the intended muscle with the intended stimulus. So I'm trying to move from point A to point B while ensuring I'm keeping that tension in the bicep, which is the intended place. And I'm doing so in a fashion, be that I have to slow down the tempo, add a pause, change if I'm seated, if I'm on an incline sitting up, if I'm using a cable or a barbell, whatever I'm using in order to stimulate the muscle to create maximal mechanical tension. And I also want to create mechanical tension in different ways, which is why exercise selection is really important for the individual, right? And so we'll get into that next. But again, form and proper technique is going to, A, make sure that we can focus on the intended muscle. B, we can do it by not just moving from point A to point B, but we can move from point A to point B with a full range of motion, going through a full stretch and shortening cycle to maximally stimulate the muscle in all ranges of motion, right? We want to ensure that, especially the lengthened portion, because we know based on the latest research that the lengthened portion of a movement is the most important when it comes to hypertrophy. We want to make sure we're in that stretched position under load. And we can't do that unless we have proper technique. If you're just swinging a weight or moving from point A to point B, do you really know if you're getting into that fully lengthened position at the bottom of every rep? You don't. You're just trying to get from point A to point B. You're not considering whether or not you're actually doing it with a full range of motion and doing it with the intended muscle, always firing and always under tension because mechanical tension is the key, right? So we're doing this to ensure proper, properly targeting the intended muscle with the intended stimulus and also to avoid injury. Obviously, you know, powerlifting, if we look at uh, the meta-analysis done on um, injury risks of powerlifting and weightlifting sport versus bodybuilding, powerlifting, weightlifting sport is much higher there's a lot of reasons why this is probably true, but bodybuilding in general is going to have a much lower risk of injury, which is why, uh, you know, focusing on bodybuilding style training is probably best for anybody who wants to just improve their physique, gem pop, actual athletes, it doesn't matter. If we're encouraging ourselves to slow down, focus on proper technique, 
targeting the intended muscle. We're not going to create imbalances. We're not going to compensate and shift our body and put sheer force on different joints. We're not just trying to move from point A to point B, which is going to cause bouncing and momentum and things like that. We're doing it with a lot of intention. Bodybuilding is intentional, and that's why it's so uh, helpful for injury prevention. Now, the next part of this is, is individualizing the exercise selection. So when we think of form and proper technique, individualized exercise selection comes into play because certain people have different limb lengths, certain people have different postures, certain people have different skills and movement patterns, certain people have different experience, certain people have different injury history. There's a lot of reasons why I might do a certain exercise and it works amazing for me versus somebody else. There's also the easiest example is there's people who swear by the squat for their glutes and there's people who say that the squat sucks for their glutes. There's also people who swear by uh, squats for quads. And there's people who say, I squat all the time and I have no quads. Well, it's because depending on your posture and your limb length and your torso length, so how, how long your torso is, your trunk from shoulder to waist, how long your femurs are and your tibias are, so your thigh bone and your calf bone basically, and the way your external rotation. So we have a bunch of different like Q angles of our hip, which is basically the hip angle that we have. It, it ends up leading to... How is your ankle mobility? How long are your limb lengths? How upright do you stay in the squat? Um, how wide is your stance need to be? How much knee flexion are you going to get, which is going to cause more stretch on the quad, which is going to lead to more growth from the squat, so on and so forth. All these things dictate whether or not the squat is great for quads or glutes, right? Because depending on which way you go, if you sit back into it a lot, it's more glutes. If you uh, sit very tall and you lean your knees forward, you got a big knee over toe squat, it's really good for quads squats are great for my quads personally, not for my glutes. So that being said, individualizing the exercise selection to the person and their posture and their limb length and how tall they are and all these things is going to lead to an ability to uh, take advantage of mechanical tension. We can create more mechanical tension by individualizing an exercise selection to the person we're working with, right? Very, very simple. The other thing is that we need to individualize it based on how often the person could train. We're going to touch on volume next, but uh, a piece of volume is is also frequency, right? Frequency of a muscle group is less important than people usually think, or at least it's important for different reasons than people think. For a long time, people would talk about like triggering a muscle. And yes, when you when you train a muscle, you, you send a signal for muscle protein synthesis. But that's really like a global signal for your body to build muscle everywhere. Um, and it happens when you eat protein. It happens when you strength train. It's a neurological component as well. So when we consider like triggering a muscle, you can actually, and research proves this, you can train a muscle once a week, twice a week, three times a week, or four times a week, and you can get relatively the same amount of gains as long as you're create doing the same amount of volume, which means you're creating the same amount of mechanical tension. Problem becomes when you get stronger and you're better at creating more mechanical tension, you're going to create more damage and fatigue, which means that you probably are going to get more out of doing, uh, hitting each muscle group twice a week or maybe three times a week. Most research points to two to three. Most advanced individuals do one to two because as you get better and better at creating mechanical tension, you don't want to do too much frequency because if you're doing too much frequency, you're probably not creating enough mechanical tension per session because you're leaving room in the tank to make sure that you can do it next time. And if you don't do it enough, probably creating too much in one session, which is too fatiguing and you can't return to hit that muscle again. So the important muscles I think should be twice a week for sure. And the less important muscles for you personally to grow maybe once, but probably still twice just with less total volume. But in general, we want to hit muscle groups multiple times a week, and that's a higher frequency, which is just a way to control and organize our volume. However, the reason I'm talking about this in the aspect of form and proper technique, as well as exercise selection, is that if I'm doing an exercise selection 
uh, if I'm considering frequency with exercise selection, I'm not just considering how many times am I hitting a muscle group. I'm considering how am I applying the stimulus and creating mechanical tension to that muscle group each time throughout the week. So again, using the curl, because it's just an easy example that we can keep going off of. If I'm doing a curl one day with my shoulders in a neutral position, like a standing hammer curl, right? Neutral grip, so neutral grip wrist and a shoulder that is right by my side, just regular. That is a very specific joint angle for my wrist and for my shoulder, which is going to target the biceps in a different way. Not only am I going to target more brachialis, so a different bicep head, technically, I'm also going to be in a certain position at the bottom and top of that range of motion of the curl on my bicep. So the stretch and shortening cycle changes a little bit. Now, if I put myself on an incline bench and I let my shoulders go into hyperextension, so they're actually rolling behind me, now I'm encouraging more of a lengthened portion. I might not be able to do as heavy of a load, but I'm going to emphasize mechanical tension in the stretched phase of that exercise range of motion more so than I did when my shoulder was in a neutral position. If I do like a preacher curl with a supinated grip, palm up, now I have my shoulder in a flex position. I'm going to focus way more on the shortened range than the lengthened range. If I do a seated leg curl versus a lying leg curl for the hamstrings, I'm doing one with a hip flexed, one with a hip extended. That's going to change the range of motion and the positioning or the tension placed on it on the lengthened versus the shortened, emphasizing the shortened on one exercise and the lengthened on another, right? So we're, we're going to be able to hit different parts of the muscle. We're going to be able to target uh, different phases of the range of motion. We're going to be able to create different amounts of mechanical tension throughout different portions of the range of motion in an exercise all through exercise selection and individualizing that exercise selection, which is also why you can't just do one extra, like when we consider bodybuilding, you can't just squat bench deadlift and expect to get all the gains. You have to do a bench press with different grips, with different stretches, with different rep ranges, with different modalities. You have to do a fly variation. You should do an incline. You should do a decline. You should do different things with your exercise selection throughout the week to make sure that you're not just focusing on overall volume, but you're also focusing on the exercise selection for an individual to make sure that we're using their their body and their mechanics, their posture, their limb length, all the things that I touched on, as well as creating different types of tension in different ranges of motion um, and different joint angles throughout the week. So form and proper technique kind of expands into the importance of injury prevention as well as making sure that we're actually properly targeting a muscle and we're we're applying the intended stimulus that we have, but also individualizing that exercise selection throughout the week to enhance our ability or, or create variety within that mechanical tension, uh, if that makes sense. So next we have volume, which is going to be easy to touch on. And the reason volume is easy to touch on is because most people know volume as uh, there's, there's a few different ways to track it. And volume has been coined as the most important factor for muscle growth. Um, it's the biggest predictor of muscle growth. And it's not for the reason most people think. I mean, it is, but you can't just say like, it's hard because volume doesn't create muscle. Mechanical tension does. So volume is the measurement of how much mechanical tension is placed in the muscle. So we need a higher amount of volume to build more muscle. Um, but you can't just do a bunch of volume, which is why mechanical tension in form and proper technique, as well as exercise selection actually comes before volume in this kind of hierarchy of principles, if you will, because at the end of the day, if I just do a bunch of volume, but the volume I'm doing isn't targeted, isn't effective, isn't 
uh, individualized, isn't safe, isn't properly ensuring that I'm targeting the intended muscle and I'm, I'm targeting and getting after the intended stimulus. I'm not creating the right amount of mechanical tension or the right type of mechanical tension. Then I'm not going to do that. It's junk volume. It's not really doing much for me. So again, it's just a measurement, right? Um, you have to measure the amount of mechanical tension over time, which is volume. That's all it is. So volume can be looked at with technical tonnage is like the original amount of volume, which is more like powerlifting style, which I wouldn't really use for anybody here unless you just want to see how much weight you're lifting in total. So like, for example, um, this would be sets times reps times weight, and that's going to give you your total tonnage. So if you did three sets of 10 with a hundred pounds, right? Three times 10 times 10 or three, I'm sorry, three times 10 times a hundred. That's going to give you your total tonnage. So three times 10 is 30, 30 times a hundred is 3000, I think. So that's 3000 pounds of weight. Like that's really cool. Uh, but it, it, and you can track it that way if you want to do the math. And then you just got to make sure next week you get like 3,200, right? Like, but for bodybuilding purposes, for muscle growth purposes, we're typically looking at reps and sets. I would rather have somebody focus on sets per muscle group per week when we're looking at volume as a whole, because every set you do is a, it's a set of mechanical tension on a certain muscle. So if I do a set of bicep curls and I'm doing it with uh, proper technique and I, to ensure that I'm stimulating the muscle properly with the right amount of mechanical tension, that is a metric of volume that is very predictive. It's very uh, trackable. It's very adjustable. I can progress that really easily over time, which we're going to get to in a bit. But the point is, is volume is just, it's, it's how we program and track the total amount of applied stimulus. So volume is the key driver of hypertrophy, but it's not really the driver of hypertrophy. And it, I, so I guess it's not like, it's often said that volume is the key driver of hypertrophy, but the truth is, is mechanical tension is the key driver of hypertrophy. Volume is the key metric used to make sure you're doing enough mechanical tension. You're creating enough mechanical tension to drive hypertrophy. So when we look at volume, it's just the number or the amount of total mechanical tension created on a muscle per week. So we want to look at sets per muscle group per week. We consider reps, that is an amount of volume, but so is weight technically. And so we don't really want to worry about that. The best way to look at volume is how many sets per muscle group you're doing per week. And it is very important when we're talking about programming, because that's how we guarantee somebody's progressing over time. And it's also how we make sure that we're doing enough. We know that uh, you know, the, the general range is 10 to 20. I would say it's probably more like eight to 20 because beginners can start le at less than 10 and it depends on the muscle, a bicep or a tricep or a rear delt doesn't need as much volume because you're going to hit the biceps with rowing and pulling. You're going to hit the triceps with pressing movements. You're going to hit the rear delts with lateral raises or some pressing movements, some rowing movements. So these secondary muscles can probably be cut by like 25 to 50%. So if you need 10 sets per muscle group, per week to grow, you probably need like five to eight sets per secondary muscle group per week to grow. And so you should always kind of cut those back just a little bit. That's why you're generally going to do more sets of lats than you would biceps per week. But in general, we're looking at this and where we have a starting point, let's say it's 10 just for easy math. And the higher end is 20. Now, what I've noticed in my career of, of lifting as well as coaching is that there's a bell curve. So we might start by being able to grow a lot at 10 because we can almost grow with anything when we're new. And as we get more advanced, we need to get closer to 20. But at a certain point when you're like in the game for a decade or more and you're really strong and you're really good at creating mechanical tension, it's actually so fatiguing to train at 20 uh, total sets per week that if you can do it, you can only do it for a certain period of time. And this is where you would need periodization or deloads to be in place because you can't just consistently train hard enough 
which is our next point, uh, RIR and effort, you can't train with the amount of effort and RIR you need week after week after week after week at 20 sets. Like you're going to burn out because you're creating so much fatigue because the loads you're using are higher. The mechanical tension you're creating is higher. The neurological impact is higher. The injury risk is higher. You need more recovery. So you kind of go through this bell curve of like, I don't need much to grow to, I actually need quite a bit to grow to, I need less than I just did to grow. It's like a J curve because it doesn't go all the way back to 10 always. Uh, but the point is, is volume is a very, very important factor in programming for muscle growth. But the biggest thing to remember is that it's not the key driver. It's the key metric. Mechanical tension is still the key driver of hypertrophy. Next, we have RIR and effort. So RIR is the gauge we use to make sure we're training hard enough to create that stimulus of mechanical tension in a good way uh, to, to be productive, right? So if we're creating enough mechanical tension, the easiest way to ensure we are in the moment is to use RIR. The reason I say in the moment is because if you're creating enough mechanical tension, you're probably going to feel it the next day. You're probably going to be sore. You should be sore. Um, you shouldn't be debilitatingly sore, but you should feel it the next day. You should feel fatigued after the set, after the session, the next day, whatever it may be. But in the moment, it's best to use RIR because it's a literal, you know, like in the moment gauge or scale you can use reps in reserve rir it's a scale you can use to make sure you're going hard enough and it's really simple like i would look at a scale from like it's one to five generally one to six but you're looking at like one to four four being like a really easy warm-up set three being like you're leaving three reps in the tank so reps in reserve you're leaving three reps in reserve on your final rep so if you have a set of 10 you're doing a weight uh you're doing a weight that you could do for 13 for 10 reps you're leaving three in the tank but that load leaving three in the tank is still stimulant. Uh, it, it still creates enough of a stimulus to cause hypertrophy. That's what research shows is you need to have about three to four left in the tank at least in order to stimulate maximal growth. Ideally, you need zero, one, maybe two left in the tank to stimulate growth. Strength's different. And we're not going to touch on strength today because strength, you can leave more in the tank because it's a neurological adaptation. You probably should, but uh, leave more in the tank because of injury risk and you want to be proficient with the skill of strength. But with hypertrophy, we're trying to create maximal mechanical tension um, and to a degree fatigue and damage to the muscle, right? So it can actually basically recover and adapt and rebuild. And in order to do that, we need to take the set to a point where we only have zero, one, maybe two reps in reserve left. And at that point, we are creating enough mechanical tension in order to guarantee we will be growing because we're taking it to that point. So your effort is your, your, how hard you're going in that set. It's your proximity to failure. Proximity being the distance from where you finish your set to actual absolute failure. And your RIR is your scale used to gauge that. And if we're using this RIR, we can ensure that we are doing enough mechanical tension. So going back to point number one, you know, RIR and effort probably should be before volume because it, it kind of goes mechanical tension is what literally drives hypertrophy. Our form and proper technique allows us to individualize what we're doing to make sure that we're properly choosing exercises to create the mechanical tension we need. And then RIR is the gauge we use to ensure that we're actually taking it far enough to stimulate the muscle enough to create that mechanical tension to the max degree. And then volume is how much of that we actually do, right? And so we have these layers and then we go to progression and standardization. Progression and standardization is pretty simple. Standardization is just, are you standardizing your training? So if you're doing, for example, a leg press and you know, week one, you do it at the YMCA, week two, you do it at LA Fitness, week three, you do it at Planet Fitness. Those are different machines. Those aren't standardized, right? They're going to be a little bit different. If you're not tracking your weight, you're not standardizing it. If you're not doing the same rep range, you're not standardizing it. If you're not using the same form and technique, like we talked about earlier, 
One week you do wide stance, one week you do close stance, one week you're higher on the platform. Um, it's a different leg press machine. These are all standardized approaches. If you're going to progress a movement and you're going to progress the load you can use, how many reps you can do, the total volume you can do, how much mechanical tension you're placing on it, you have to try to mimic it and standardize it over time. Now, some exercises we can change in and out, and that's fine. Usually it's isolation accessory, and those can be changed every few weeks. But you want to standardize your approach where you're, you're, you have a similar tempo, you have a similar rep range and cadence, you have a similar form, you have a similar, if not the exact same machine or type of weight you're using. All these things standardize your approach so that you can progress your range of motion, how much load you use, the reps you use, um, your total weekly sets per muscle. These are all tools for progression and you have to standardize what you're doing so you can actually track it. Same thing with tracking macros, right? If you don't have a standard for what you're weighing your food on or how you're measuring your food, how do you know that you're doing the same thing over and over again, right? It's it's really simple. Um, it's why macros work because it gives you a standardization. So the way that I suggest progressing within this standardization, once you lock down everything we've talked about so far, your form, the type of machines and exercises, tools you're using, um, your cadence, your rep range of motion, like all these things, right? All these things standardize it so you know it's similar, if not the same, week to week, so you can progress it. And then when you choose a progression scheme, I recommend a double progression method 90% of the time. There's room for a linear approach. A linear approach would be I start at 10 reps, and then next week I do eight reps, the week after I do six reps. You're lowering your intensity and increasing, uh, I'm sorry, you're lowering your volume and increasing your intensity. If I go from 10 to eight on a squat, I can almost guarantee I can lift more weight. And that's a neurological adaptation. I'm getting stronger. Even though I'm doing less weight, I'm getting used to more weight on the bar and I'm doing the same movement. And then I do six reps and the same thing happens. And then I come back to 10, right? So it goes 10, eight, six, 10, eight, six, 10, eight, six. And I rinse and repeat that for multiple blocks in a row. And every time I do 10 reps after that cycle, I'm going to do 10 reps at a little bit heavier low because the eight and the six allowed my nervous system to get stronger and adapt, right? But with hypertrophy, we want more volume. That doesn't always lead to more volume. If you are at a, a plateau or a sticking point where strength is your limiting factor, the reason you can't build more muscle is because you're not strong enough. And this happens with aerobic capacity too. If, if you can't do enough volume in the gym because you can't do high rep sets, you can't do enough work in that like workload in that single session because you're tired metabolically, then you probably should do some cardio and aerobic training to improve your aerobic system because that's going to allow you to recover between reps and sets. It helps your energy systems. You're going to be able to perform more in that session, which is more volume, which is more growth. So there's times where we step away from hypertrophy to improve hypertrophy. But for the most part, a double progression method is pretty simple. We have a rep range. Let's say it's eight to 10 reps. So you're doing a Smith machine squat, eight to 10 reps. You pick a load that follows your RIR. So let's say your RIR is descending, which is what I like to do. You have three reps in reserve out of four sets, three reps in reserve, two reps in reserve, one rep in reserve. And then the last one you have like zero, right? You don't go to literal failure where you fall, but like there's no way you can do another set, right? So maybe like 0.5 reps in reserve. And you start with a weight for eight reps that gives you that, right? And then each week you're staying within that eight to 10 and you're staying within those, uh, those RIR targets, but you're trying to essentially make it so that eight reps in reserve, or I'm sorry, that eight rep with a three rep in reserve is now 10 reps with a three rep in reserve. And whatever you did for eight reps, two reps in reserve, you can do it for 10 reps. So you keep the load the same, and you keep doing the load until you can do more reps within that rep range. Once you can do all four sets at 10 reps with the same reps in reserve and the same load, now you're going to increase load back down to eight with the same reps in reserve. So I increase load at that point. 
You can do this with eight, six to eight reps, eight to 10 reps, 10 to 12 reps, 12 to 15, 10 to 15, 10 to 20, 15 to 20. It's a rep range. And all you're trying to do, it's a double progression method. I'm trying to go from the bottom range of that rep range to the top rep range of that rep range with the same load and a similar, if not the same RIR over time. That's going to be the best way to accumulate volume over time safely and, and stimulate muscle growth from a progression model. Um, and then the last thing that we add in here is intensification techniques. And this is basically like once we've maximized our total, uh, our, our maximize our tolerable weekly volume, we intensify exercises. So what I mean by this is we've kind of checked off all of our boxes, right? We've done everything in here. We're recovering well. Maybe we can't spend more time in the gym and we want to do something that gives us more bang for a buck in a short period of time. We had some myo reps or some drop sets. Uh, maybe we have like three or two muscle groups that we're really focused on. And then we have some muscle groups that we're doing less volume with throw these in on there so that you can maximize the small amount of volume you're doing. So maybe I'm doing 20 sets per week on my chest and my lats. Cause I really want to grow and my shoulders and my legs and stuff. I'm only doing 10 cause I don't have enough time or recovery capacity to do 20 sets on everything. Well, I can do some drop sets some myo reps some EMOM, some like just different fun intensification techniques that really just demolish a muscle in a short period of time and challenge me may not actually allow me to get more volume. Cause if you think about a drop set or a super set or a giant set or any of these things, sometimes they actually limit how much load and reps you can do total. And that limits your volume. So it might not always be good for growth, but if it allows me to squeeze out a little bit extra intensity or effort or volume in that short little set, then it's worth doing in that moment. Um, because it's a muscle group that I'm not focused on growing exponentially. It's like kind of like my back burner muscle. Um, the other aspect would be if I don't have much time in the gym and I still need to progress, I can add these in on top of what I'm already doing because I've maximized my tolerable volume or the amount of time I can spend in the gym. Um, or I just want to make it challenging and fun, right? So if I check off all my boxes and I'm like, all right, I have a little bit of extra time. I'm going to throw in an extra set on some of these exercises. And I'm going to do a drop set or a my, my reps, which is where like you do rest pause sets. They're just fun. They're challenging. And you can create a lot of metabolic or, or metabolite fatigue. But this is the last thing on this list because intensification techniques are like a art of coaching technique to make things fun, make things challenging and kind of push you to the next limit after you've already uh, checked off all your boxes in the program and you've maximized your tolerable amount of volume or the amount of time you can actually spend in the gym doing the amount of volume to create mechanical tension in the gym. So what we have here is pretty simple. Mechanical tension is the biggest key driver of muscle growth. We have to consider form and proper technique while doing that to make sure that we're optimizing mechanical tension. We're, we're focusing on the intended muscle group and the intended stimulus that we're after for mechanical tension. Then we have RIR and effort. I'm going to pull that one ahead of volume. And that's where we have a gauge that actually allows us to ensure you're like, yep, I am doing this properly. And I am pushing myself close enough to failure to ensure that I'm creating that mechanical tension. Volume is how we track it all. Volume is how much of this we're doing. And then the progression and the standardization is the standardization makes sure that we have a system and the progression makes sure that we're actually improving over the course of weeks and months. And then last but not least, the sprinkle on top, the cherry on top of the cake, the icing on the cake, however you want to call it, is the intensification techniques, which are fun, challenging ways to spice things up after you've checked off all your boxes. If you wrap all this up in a bow, you have the perfect muscle growth program and you have a layered system that allows you to ensure that you're doing things properly in the right way for the long haul to continue building muscle. I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. I really wanted to be it to be a straight shot topic where I just dive deep into program design. I think you're going to get a lot out of this. Once again, I want to shout out the Taylor trainer, because if all this is appealing to you, I promise you'll love the Taylor trainer app because that's what I do in there. I write expert programs for individuals who want to achieve above average results. I appreciate you guys listening as always. Uh, make sure you leave a five-star rating review. If you enjoyed this, share this with a friend who needs help 
with their programming for their clients or themselves personally. And as always, I'll catch you next time. <laughs>